Welcome to the Two Brothers, One Dad Dead podcast. Today, in the next part of the canon, we're going to be talking about Blade Runner. Jay Bear and I just watched the 1982 version, which some people say is the version to avoid, but it's the version we grew up with, with our dad, Crazy Bill. Jay Bear, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Rocky Jay, thank you. So do you want me to start off with kind of like what this movie meant? to me to to me as as far as with dad yeah why don't you so this was one of the movies that he would always kind of cry with at the end um and i think i think this movie like captured his kind of existential outlook on life can you summarize the movie, just kind of big picture for people who haven't seen it, so they'll kind of get what we're talking about? Well, to me, the movie's mainly about um, these, like, robotic escorts. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <clears throat> in in my head, that's all I remember. No. No. So, basically, um, Harrison Ford, he comes out of retirement as a hunter of replicants, which are basically, like, some version of Android. Um it takes place in a futuristic LA where it's constantly raining and he has to hunt these replicants down. Um, and you know, with one, especially he, he starts to kind of gain like a pretty strong emotional attachment and you can tell he's conflicted. Um, it's this gritty noir esque sci-fi, you know, and I won't give all of it away, but written by Philip K. Dick, one of, um, our dad's favorite authors and one of mine and I think one of yours or least. Oh yeah, there? definitely one of, one of my absolute favorite authors. And I think, yeah. and I think what is, you know, one, it, it has that kind of gritty neo-noir thing that mm-hmm. he liked. And two, it asks really big questions like, you know, if I feel alive and I think I'm alive, how am I any less alive if I was built in a factory or a lab than if I was built, you know, via the course of natural selection? And something that I like about this movie and this version, and I'll say just for so, so that listeners know, you know, I've read the book maybe six or seven times. I've listened to the book maybe three or four times. I've read a couple of the scripts that actually didn't get made. There used to be this Mm -hmm. awesome magazine called Scenario. Mm -hmm. And what they would do is they would publish the writer's preferred script for different movies. And then they would have an illustrator who hadn't seen the movie before illustrate it. And it was a super cool way to get kind of like insight from a writer's point of view. Cause you know, you always hear what the director has to say, but you very rarely, very rarely hear what the writer thinks of the version that got filmed. Yeah. And I think this version it's, you know, some people say, Oh, the ending's a little too sappy, a little too happy. I actually think it's a really nice ending because at the end, even enemies realize like how precious and how brief life is. Um, Mm. and you know, Rutger Hauer at the very end of the movie, you know, this would always get dad choked up, if not outright bawling, you know, he'd be like, um, you know, he talks about all the crazy things he's seen, like sea beams off Tannhauser gates, 
starships explore, you know, exploding, exploded off the belt of Orion and all this stuff. And then he's like, you know, all these moments will be lost in time, like tears and rain time to die. And it's just, I think it just kind of captured dad's, you know, outlook on life. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. And to be honest, like I didn't really remember, um, those like specific quotes. So going into this today, I thought it was more just like, um, his appreciation for Philip K. Dick and just kind of the sci-fi genre in general. But yeah, no, I think you're onto something. Yeah. Or do you think it just was one of his favorite movies because of, I mean, what's your, what's your experience with, with this movie and dad? So I probably watch his more than two, less than five times with him. Mm-hmm. Always on one of those weekends where he'd like get a couple fists of vodka, um, mm-hmm. sit in his chair, drink while watching it. And I, I kind of vaguely remember him getting emotional. Um, you know, when I first saw it though, at least like the first time or two, I didn't really appreciate it much. I thought it was kind of weird, but. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Like I didn't like actively dislike it, but I just was kind of like, okay, you know, whatever. Sure. I'll watch this with you. It didn't grab you the way it grabbed me. Yeah. But now like watching it being older, I, I sort of like get why he would have liked it. Um, just for kind of those existential reasons that you were saying. Yeah, those existential reasons. And yeah, like its vision of the future was kind of yeah. overcrowded and dirty. And, 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 you know, one thing too, while we were watching it, uh, I thought it was just such a, like it was a lot of the, it was so super 80s, like the music, the mm-hmm. outfits, the, yeah. the, the imagined um, cityscapes of the future. But, you know, I, I'm actually, it's been, I think I saw it maybe in 2005 for the last time. So it's been what, 17 years, 18 years, mm-hmm. something like that. I think it holds up really well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's kind of a testament to some of the like, cooler kind of neat things in the 1980s such as just just the vibe just that kind of like oversized classic kind of but almost like almost like classic blown up to like parody size like you know like Mm. the shoulder the shoulder pad or men like you know, just like over the, the, over the topness. Right. Right. And the first time we saw the, I remember the first time I saw, like, I've seen it so many times. It's hard to remember the first time, but I distinctly remember it. Yes. Like you said, it was always on those weekends that, you know, where he was drinking, but I don't know. I, I guess I found this movie, like when he would put it on, I was happy. Whereas sometimes with the Blues Brothers, I'd be like, you know, overall, I was, I guess I was happy. But sometimes with the Blues Brothers, I'd be like, oh, geez, like another like, yada, 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 you know, like mm-hmm. he would get so worked up. At least it was like a, you know, kind of like a very introspective kind of melancholy tying one on versus a, you know, dancing naked in the living room kind of tying one on. <laughs> 
Right. You know? Right. Yep. Um, and then was this movie your introduction to Philip K. Dick? Yeah, it would have been. Okay. And then did yeah. you read, have you read this book? No, I've read a ton of Philip K. Dick books, but um, never this one. And kind of for a stupid reason, I think, in retrospect. What was the reason? Well, just because it probably is his most well-known book. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of felt like, you know, avoiding really well-known famous things for its own sake. But I do plan on reading it now sometime. Yeah, no, Especially I kind of... watching it today. Yeah, for sure. No, when it comes to music, like there's some 90s music that was like, you know, I, it was mm-hmm. a little like too popular to be cool yeah. or cool yeah. for me, you know, like Sublime or right. even like Stone Temple Pilots or, or especially mm. Pearl Jam because I thought Pearl oh. Jam was like the total yeah, like yeah, yeah. commercial sellout of like Nirvana-ish type stuff. But now right. like, oh no, they, they wrote great songs and so what yeah. if they were super popular? Like yeah, hopefully... Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and that's the right way to look at it. Like, look at it for its own sake, whether not, whether or not it was popular. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the neo-noir thing, I know that dad really did like a lot of, especially the old Humphrey Bogart movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Maltese Falcon. Uh, Treasure of Sierra else. Madre. Tre- yeah. Oh, was, B- was Humphrey Bogart in that? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. And yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think that that neo noir thing really he had a soft spot for that. Yeah, and you, you know, like Dad, for as gruff and rough as he was, he, I think this version appealed to him because, like Deckard, that the bounty hunter at mm-hmm. the end really is like I, I don't know. I think Dad was kind of a hopeless romantic in a weird oh, way, like yeah. as as yeah crazy as it is to think of him as a I, but I think he yeah I think he was a hopeless romantic mm-hmm. so I think that that kind of appealed to him like that okay the guy and the girl they do get to live together they don't know for how long and I know dad also really loved the scene you know after Rutger Hauer gives his speech and dies and uh, the Deckard character is like, yeah, I don't know why he let me live. Maybe in his last few minutes of life, he decided that life was so precious, all life, even mine, that he, he didn't want to, you know, he wanted to do everything he could to prolong life, even in somebody like me, whose job was to hunt him down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's a, then like, basic, you know, somebody from the police station, um, Gaff is his name, or Jaf or Gaf or something like that is his name in the movie, and he shows up and he's like, "You've done a man, you know who he he probably watched this whole thing happen and didn't help mm-hmm. Deckard." Uh, and then he's like, "You've done a man job. You've done a man's job, sir. You know she won't live." Speaking about one of the replicants who he wasn't originally supposed to hunt down, but who did kind of like leave where she was supposed to be. So technically she had kind of escaped from the headquarters of the Tyrell corporation, the people who made her. Right. Um, and he's like, you know, she won't live, but then again, who does? And I yeah. know dad yeah. absolutely loved that. And and while we were watching it too, I was also thinking of his whole, like dancing in the dark was one of his favorite songs. And I think this movie also kind of really exemplified that whole, like, 
you know, dancing in the dark, like in this vast universe without meaning, we just have to like create our own little sparks of, of love Mm -hmm. and tenderness. Um, I didn't know he loved that song. Oh, you didn't? No. Oh, he loved that song. Really? He would like, yeah, he would always like sing it. And I know that sometimes he would play it. Wow. And I feel like it was in one of the movies he really liked, but are yeah. you th- you're talking about the Bruce Springsteen song? No, 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 no. Not talking about like, uh, uh, no, not talking about the, like, can't start the fire, yeah. can't start the fire without the without spark. A spark. No, this is like an old 1950s song. Oh, oh it's okay. Like, okay. Dancing in the dark with you, love. Dancing in the okay. dark, something, huh. something. And we'll face the music together you know so it's yeah super existential right Um, right right and you know while we were watching the movie today there was one other thing i kind of thought about and i know that in previous episodes you know we don't have to belabor it too much but i know in previous episodes i kind of expressed my you know that he was so existential and so like you know, we live, we die, and that's it, son. And all that matters are the moments right now. And I was almost like a little bit disappointed with how much he didn't face the end of his own existence. Mm-hmm. And I realized as we were watching this, I think this movie and like, I think this movie kind of got that idea in my head that we should like, you know, boldly face the most uncomfortable fact there is that we won't be around forever. So I don't know what that's worth, but I just wanted to mention that, that like, it's like, Oh yeah. Like, cause Roy Batty, you know, you know, speechifying at the end of his life. Like, yes, that's very Hollywood, but it's also, you know, I think everybody hopes that they'll say something brave and profound as their last few words. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, so what else about this movie or what else actually, you know, bigger than this movie, like what else do do you, do you know of any other movies that kind of also had this like existential thing that dad really liked? Like, I'm just trying Mm -hmm. to think what else, if if any other movie typified his or hit or not personified, but expressed his kind of life philosophy as good as, or his life philosophy around like the brevity of existence as much as this movie. Can you think of anything else? No, I can't right now. I think that's a really good point. Can you? I know he really liked mash the, the original movie. Right. And I think part of that was that the theme song for MASH was like really like suicide Suicide is painless. painless, Yeah. Yeah. It brings on many changes. Yeah. Uh, So I know he liked MASH. I know he also really liked, and I wonder if you saw this movie, this would be actually a great movie to talk about. Have you, did you ever see all that jazz? Like the Bob Fosse movie? Oh yeah. You're right. That one. Yes. uh, Yes. To answer your question, I saw, I've seen it with him a couple of times. Yeah, where it's all like bye bye life, bye 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 happiness. bye 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 happiness. Yeah, yeah, and I think I'm that's gone yeah, no, yeah, you're right. you're right. No, I think yeah, probably all that jazz and Blade Runner were kind of the 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 two. Yeah, 
And why do you think dad had such a like dark view? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I, I would say it's a realistic view, but I mean, how would you mm-hmm. describe dad's like attitude towards life and death? I'm just curious as to your take. And if he was as dark with you as he was with me. Oh dude, he definitely was as dark. Um, how would I describe his view on life and death? Just kind of what we're already saying, just how like we're not here for very long. Um, I think he knew that life goes in the blink of an eye. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he wasn't one of those people who would always be like, oh, and make the most of it. He would almost kind of um, wallow in it. You know what I mean? Just kind of like accept that as a fact, but not really try to change his own life to make whatever time he had better. That's really interesting. Right? Do you think I'm right? You're right. Yeah. And when you say wallow in it, do you think it was, do you think like the brevity of existence, he almost used the brevity of existence is almost like, yeah, an well, excuse. nothing really matters. So nothing really matters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't realize yeah. that, which is funny because if you watch the movie, it's like Deckard's choices and the choices of the like, like in a weird sort of way. It's I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a life affirming movie, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a love affirming movie, you know, where oh, he's like, like, well, I guess all I have is my love for this woman. Right. And she's not even a real biological woman but right again like the movie gets to that at the end where you know at first he's you know replicants these these robots that basically escape from the colonies and come down to earth it's like illegal for them to be on earth Mm -hmm. and you know part of that reason is some of them are so you know smart or strong or fast and they they have at least earlier versions have no moral compass, but mm-hmm. the interesting thing about this latest version that he's hunting down is they do seem to have feelings and they do seem to have attachments. Right. And that's actually right. a really nice change from the book because in the book, the robots aren't really like, you don't really feel anything for them. They're, they're more like spiders. Like you think you're going to yeah. like Rachel and him and Rachel actually get together and spend a night in a hotel. And he thinks he's falling in love with her. And then she's like, could you not kill my friends? Like the other replicants who are on the loose. He's like, mm-hmm. no, I have to. She's like, oh, the other Blade Runner I slept with told me that he wouldn't kill my friends because of mm-hmm. me and him sleeping together. Mm-hmm. Then he realizes like her utter amorality. Right, right. He's just kind of using that- him. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. she's used, she, she is, and she's not even like, she doesn't even try to hide it. Like mm-hmm. the replicants are just so just like amoral. Transactional and amoral. Yeah. Transactional, amoral and spider-like. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. No, dude, like I told you when we were watching it, like that ending kind of blew me away because I did not remember that happy ending at oh, all. Oh, really? Yeah. Like from... Like the end, like when uh, he's being chased around by Roy Batty, or which? Oh which part? no, no, no! I mean, like the very ending when he's driving away with Rachel. Oh, into the woods, and yeah, like they're yeah. gonna live some kind of life together. They're gonna have a life together, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it's a, another interesting thing. And, and if like watching it again, I think if the movie would have been closer to the book, I don't know if Dad would have liked it so much. Mm, really. 
because there was this big uh, thing, like there was a big religious kind of component in the book Mm -hmm. where the kind of, you know, religion that everybody followed was this thing called Mercerism. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, you, you would like put your, you know, through some kind of future technology, you would put your hands on the, on these handles and suddenly you would be this guy who's walking up the, the uh, hill in the desert in sandals and people are throwing rocks at him where it's a very kind of Jesus like Mm -hmm. thing. But as you're doing this, you feel everybody else in the world who's also like experiencing the same like virtual reality. And, but you know, you actually feel the, the rocks hit your head or face or whatever. Um, and that, and that, and it's, that's what's talked about also like the, the androids, the, the replicants, they can't feel what it's like to kind of be in this like group and to like experience something, this kind of like deep religious experience with others at the same time, because from what I know, and I think you're a little bit more, or you've read his like kind of religious mystical stuff, Mm -hmm. like Ubik, uh, transmigration of Timothy Archer. Archer, Yeah. Like Philip K. Dick had a kind of a big religious impulse kind of, I mean, it was very untraditional, but didn't he like, can you refresh my memory? Like he was kind of always about, forces uh, oh, bigger than yeah. us like and uh, can you, you you know it better than i do can you tell i mean me? yeah i don't it's been so long since i read those books i don't remember like all the details but just yeah like overall um if not religious then definitely like what you call like spiritual and that there was some kind of higher power who yeah had an impact on things and that you should believe in or at least that like everybody believed in Yes. And yeah. In real life, didn't he have a religious experience? Um, I think it was like I, a near death slash religious experience, if I remember right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Where like, I I want to say he had like a big heart. I what what ultimately killed him, I believe, if I remember, was a heart attack. And okay. he had a heart attack when he was younger than that, where he almost died, and that's what is like near death or religious experience was about. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. If if I remember things right, that's what happened. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, And then also in the book, like earth is basically depopulated. Like there was some sort of huge nuclear, it was either a nuclear war or some kind of biological incident that, you know, many, many thousands or, or millions of people died uh, somehow through the use of like replicants who could like, you know, show up somewhere and terraform for a hundred years before any humans showed up and do all the labor and do all the work that the replicants were basically like the slave class, um, mm-hmm. who would kind of go make these uninhabited worlds, like more inhabitable for people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that built that apartment building where, um, who was the guy who had, that accelerated decrepitude, uh, JF Skinner. No, not, do you know what I'm talking about? The, the, yeah. Um, I I know who you're talking about. Yeah, whatever. But so everything, like almost all of society, you know, almost all of the earth was like seriously depopulated, like a city like San Francisco maybe had, you know, a hundred thousand people instead of, coming up on a million in the whole Bay area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that yeah. was kind of interesting. 
Yeah. Um, I was going to say one other thing and I forget what it is. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. Um, you know, I think it was that robot, the, the stuff where dad, that dad might not have liked it, but yeah, I feel like the movie was a really good, um, interpretation of the book, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of like took the spirit of a lot of it, but changed the details. And yeah, man, I've seen that movie so many times with dad. So you never saw him bawling. He would just kind of tear up. Cause I mean, there was a couple times he was like crying like a baby while Roy Batty was giving his speech. I don't remember that, but I mean, it probably happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, maybe I just blocked it out. Yeah, maybe. And then, um, one other thing we were talking about. So in the future, if there are like robot escorts, Oh, do you think it's cheating if you sleep with a robot? <sighs> Because I know um, you're giving a lot of thought to this while we were watching the movie. Well, I wouldn't say a lot of thought. Um, yeah, that's tough, man. Like, oof. on the one hand, it's not a real person, so it doesn't matter. But also, it's like another thing that you can become emotionally attached to. Yeah. Um, but luckily, you can't knock it up. So that's one good thing. Do you think that it's is cheating? one good thing? <laughs> I would think so, kind of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would... So, like, basically, the way I'm thinking about it right now, it's like, my head tells me yes, but my heart would tell me no. <laughs> so, your heart Christina would want Aguilera. to... Huh? So your heart would want to visit... Your heart would want to visit the robot escort. My heart would want to visit the robot escort if I was with someone, but my head would realize that I'm cheating the whole time. I see, I see. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, another thing that's like very different for me watching this movie now Mm -hmm. is I believe like basically if somebody was grown in a lab but had their own thoughts and desires and fears and joys, like I guess along, I guess a short way of saying like, I believe we are biological machines. That, that happened to be mm-hmm. built through natural selection. Right. And I really don't think we should treat other biological machines differently. Any different. Like, yeah. 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 Like, would you, do you think that if there are robots who could, who could approach like, you know, the Rachel level or Pris, mm-hmm. do you think, they should be granted like personhood I, or, or another way is, do you think like we, do you think we have a soul that robots could never have? Or do you think we just have a level of sophistication that robots will eventually have? Like what's your take on this? I think we just have a level of sophistication that robots eventually could have. Yeah. What do you think? So you, no, I, I definitely think so. So you'd be yeah. down with giving robots full citizenship. I mean, like at a certain point, I think so. Yeah. If they paid their taxes, I'm cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yeah, no freeload, no what? freeloader, no freeloader robots. Yeah. Just no freeloader robots, but also yeah. it wouldn't be cool to make them like a slave class, especially, I mean, it's one thing if you no, have like yeah. a robot, you know, just a machine that has programming to like do the hay or whatever, like that's fine. Right. But if they have feelings and thoughts and fears, I mean, Oh, like I said, then I mean, you we're, can't we're make them do stuff. 
then you can't. Well, if they have feelings and thoughts and fears, no, then you can't make them do stuff unless you believe oh. in slavery. <laughs> <laughs> do you believe in slavery? No, 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 of course not. But, huh? Yeah, I'm gonna have to think about that. No, you're right. Okay. Yeah. So then, in like a hypothetical situation, if you had an escort robot for a wife, <laughs> could you not make her <laughs> what? what? No, go ahead. Finish your thought. <clears throat> could you not like make her do all the chores? Like, would it be an equal thing? I mean, if she is the same level of sophistication as you, no matter how she was built. Yeah. Then no, you couldn't make her do all the oh. chores. Oh, are you re- are you rethinking your <laughs> robot wife? <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I hadn't thought of that. I guess, but it makes sense. What if yeah. that was her purpose, though? Just to kind of like be my servant, not a slave, Josh, but just or you know, just. Uh, but if like that, I that hope- was how she. F- if that was how she found joy and meaning in her life by, by basically submitting to your every desire. Yeah. I mean, cause there could be people like that. That's true. And there probably are people like that. Yeah. People who love to yeah. serve. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I get your point. Yeah. It's, it's complicated. Yeah. It's complicated. Yeah. You could, you could, you could put like <laughs> on your taxes, married, human, robot, or it's complicated. Like, well, it's a robot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anything else on this? Oh, and I meant to ask you, did did this give Mm -hmm. you any insight into uh, Blade Runner 2049, which I haven't seen, or do you kind of need to see it again? I kind of need to... Yeah, no, I kind of need to see it again. I wouldn't say I was watching it casually, but I wasn't yeah. like, you know, like I told you, I'd watched it over a couple nights and I wasn't like maybe taking it all in. Um, right. Yeah. So that being said, there's one part in particular, which I don't want to spoil right now, but it has me kind of wondering that I'm going to need to rewatch. I had a question for you, too. Yeah. Do you think Deckard is a replicant? That is a question that, so in, in one of the scripts that I read, it's strongly hinted that yes, Deckard is a replicant. And in the Mm -hmm. book itself, they try to get Deckard to believe that he might, that he's a replicant. Okay. Do I believe he's a replicant? You know, like he very well could be, but kind of to my earlier point, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really change yeah, anything yeah. on a on a moral level because he at least has the illusion of free will. So like there's nothing to me at least that like tells us that he's a replicant. Yeah. Well unless in, I'm missing in, it. Well, in other versions of the movies I've heard uh, what you're gonna say, movies, yeah. What's that? Yeah, no, I know what you're going to say, that it is strongly suggested. Yes, because those uh, those origamis that that one guy makes, mm-hmm. there's actually, from what I remember and what I've read, because I have seen the other versions or one of the other versions, but I can't remember which one. I think like the director's cut, which wasn't really the director's cut. So the real director's cut is called the final cut. Um, mm. like Ridley Scott's preferred version is called the final cut. And I okay. do believe I've seen the, the director's cut. So he has, when he sees that, um, 
that origami unicorn, he he basically figures like, you know, well, he has a dream. He has like a dream from childhood or whatever. And there's some origami unicorn or something or somehow like unicorns play big into a dream that he never told anybody about. So when he sees that origami unicorn, it's basically somebody telling him like, yeah, I know your memories. You're a replicant. Okay. Got it. So, so I, you know, it's, he very well could be, but it kind of doesn't change anything. Yeah. So in a weird sort of way, it doesn't, doesn't matter. At least if you believe what I believe, you know? Well, maybe only in the sense that if he is, that he it's messed up and maybe I'm being overly naive, but messed up that he's hunting his own kind. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's very true. That he was made to hunt his own kind is kind of, yeah. Adding insult to injury. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, how about you? What do you think? Do you think he's a replicant? I mean, like I said, I don't see anything that tells me necessarily. Like he gets beat around and thrown around pretty bad. So like he yeah, doesn't he really a replicant. Have... Huh? Yeah. They need to up, they need to up his physical attributes if he is. Yeah. Right? Cause like the other, like the others can just take a beating real good and like, n- not like him, you know? Yeah. Put their hand in boiling water. No problem. Exactly. Yeah. And so I don't know, maybe, I mean, maybe he is. Maybe that's some kind of weird thing where, like, if you don't know your replicant, you don't have those abilities. Like, I don't understand how that would work, but I I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. Yeah. No, I hear you. I don't know. It would be cool and kind of interesting if he was, but I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anything else or should we wrap this puppy up? No, no. Let's wrap it up. It was a good movie. Um, I have to say, not that I was like not looking forward to it, but um, I definitely enjoyed it more than I was expecting. No, no, that's really cool. That makes me yeah. happy because I, yeah. I, yeah, there is like some cool depths there. Yeah. Um, and I could see how, like, how old were you when you first watched this with dad? I think I must have been like 12. Yeah, see, I was a little, I think I was like 14, 15 when I first watched it with him. So luckily I, and I had already read some Philip K. Dick. So I was kind of like tuned into the wavelength. Knew what to expect, kind of, yeah. Yeah, and tuned into the wavelength. So I I dug it. Right, right, right. That's cool. Uh, Yes. All right, listeners. Well, thanks for listening to this next installment of the canon where we talk about the so far just movies, but possibly in the future books and even records that were important to our dad and to our you know experiences with our dad. If you have any questions or feedback, uh, write us at jbear. What's our email address? Two brothers, Rocky J Bear at gmail.com. I think so. You don't say that with a lot of conviction, but I think you're right. <laughs> no, I, I think I'm right. All right. Well, thanks, man. That was super fun to watch out with you. I'm glad it's you great. dug it. Uh, yep. Please let me know like, once you read the book. Uh, I would love to talk with you more about it. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.